Carmody had never liked Algiers. It was hot, overcrowded, dirty, and seemed saturated with a permanent, sweet-sour stink. But the main reason was that it was full of people you couldn't trust. People who would cut your throat for a couple of dinars and smile while they were doing it. In his room at the St. George on the boulevard Salabouacouir, he stood sourly looking out over the harbor and the Mediterranean beyond. It was wash day, and every grillwork balcony on every stark white, tile-roofed building was draped with laundry, a gigantic, open-air dry-cleaning plant. In the hotel garden below, the palms and the olive and the acacia trees had a wilted, strangulated look, like Algiers itself, even on its best days. Carmody turned from the window, began to pace the room, a lean, predatory man, thirty-seven years old with flat green eyes and shaggy, graying black hair. A sardonic mouth made him appear faintly satanic. There was a vague air of brittleness about him, as if you could hurt him physically without too much effort, but his eyes told you this was a lie, that he was as hard as a block of forged steel inside. The room was air-conditioned, but he was sweating inside a thin yellow shirt and white ducks. A rum Collins would have gone good about now, but he was supposed to go to work soon, and he seldom drank when he worked. He glanced again at his watch. Almost four-thirty. The woman, Nicole, was late. He didn't care for people who weren't punctual, especially where business was concerned. He was not a patient man. Carmody was a freelance bodyguard a supplier of legal and extra-legal services and material, with connections that reached into nearly every country in the world. He dealt with desperate men and desperate women, with profiteers and black marketeers, with thieves and smugglers and murderers on his terms, according to his own brand of ethics. And he thrived on the action, adventure, danger in each of the jobs he undertook. He worked inside the law and outside it, whichever suited the occasion, and had never failed a client or been arrested for even the most minor of offenses. It wasn't cheap going to him, but you were guaranteed results. He was good, so good, that in the shadow world in which he operated, his reputation commanded the highest respect. The job that had brought him to North Africa had to do with a quarter of a million dollars in assorted raw gems. The day before, at his villa on the island of Majorca, he had received a call from one of his contacts, an Algerian black marketeer named Ahmed. Ahmed had been approached by a Frenchman calling himself Paul Tobier, the man with the gems. Tobier had come to Algiers from the Sudan, where he had lived for several years, come by way of the Libyan desert, Tripoli, and the coast of Tunisia. Twice en route he'd nearly been killed by former associates who wanted the stones and their ex-partner's skin as a bonus. How Tobier had come by the gems, who the former associates were, didn't concern Carmody. What concerned him was that Tobier was so anxious to get out of North Africa he was willing to pay one-tenth of the gem's worth for safe passage to France, and a new identity when he got there. Contact with the Frenchman was not to be made through Ahmed, 
as Carmody would have preferred, but through a woman Tobier had known in the Sudan named Nicole Moreau, now a resident of Algiers. Apparently, Nicole was the one providing Tobier with his hidey-hole here. He hadn't told Ahmed where that was. He was too frightened to trust anyone with that knowledge, he said, except Carmody himself. The meeting with Nicole had been arranged for four o'clock, but there was still no sign of the woman. Carmody would give her until five o'clock. If she hadn't showed by then, the deal was off. He didn't need twenty-five thousand dollars that badly. It was the work that energized him anyway, not the money he got from it.